In Canada, we are contractually obligated to say nice things about Ryan Reynolds. No, seriously. It's even written into the charter, I'm sure. So critics, beware. You besmirch our national treasure, we must push back, and push back we will, as we attempt to prove to you that 2005's waiting is not that bad. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of It's Not That Bad, the podcast that looks for A grades in B movies. And yeah, we're Canadian, so it is time to grab our swords and our shields and prepare to defend the work of one Mr. Ryan Reynolds and everyone else who was involved because we are talking 2005's waiting dot 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 i feel like i have to put the dot 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 in there because it is legally part of the name of the movie uh but here to join me as we dissect this workplace comedy is my podcast workplace co-host carrie welcome back to the show my love how are you doing today i'm doing great got my parka on i have my uggs all set i am good okay so now i have to put a full disclaimer out here i have worked in fast food, but I have never actually worked in a restaurant unless I'm actually in the band that's playing at the restaurant. So, but I have, but you have. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you right off the bat here, how much of this movie did, did you feel deep down in your soul from those days? Well, I'm clearly not going to say where I worked uh, because I can honestly say that I have never worked in a kitchen so unsanitary. Like the <laughs> the health inspector would, uh, you know, write that place up PDQ. Um, <laughs> but as far as like, as far as restaurant humor, or let's be honest, any customer service. Uh, environment this this movie was pretty well on point (laughs) okay so before we delve into by the way so now that you know if you work in a restaurant you may be triggered by this episode can i just say to customers just be nice It, it costs nothing to be nice to people be nice to your server patrick swayze's rule number three be nice just be nice just be nice don't be an and you're not gonna get the booger nuggets in your gravy <laughs> and that's that's not garlic salt no no just just no just no just no but before we get into this restaurant comedy it is time to take 2005's waiting and trailerize it in the unwritten code of dining out there are cardinal sins you must never commit never be rude to the waiters never short tip them and god help you if you ever send your food back to the kitchen ryan reynolds stars in waiting not so much a movie but a public service announcement for anyone wanting to eat at a restaurant you'll question ever wanting to have a nice dinner out again and seriously who can even afford to eat out these days seriously if this movie were ever made today the restaurant would be empty. But wait no longer. It's waiting. Rated R for rare. Just like you ordered it. No, you ordered it rare. Trust me. 
hit it rare, or there's no protection for what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I like my steak rare. <laughs> that, that's People are going to worry about ever sending their food back to the kitchen after watching this film. Like... I get. Yeah, just don't do it. <clears throat> just don't do don't it. Don't do it. And you know what the worst thing you can do is blame the waiter for the food on your plate because they had no involvement whatsoever in the making of your food. Oh, yeah. So just be nice. They're, they're just the camel that brings the food from point A to point B. And you know what? They have like, what, how many tables yelling orders at them? Like, you know what? Mistakes will be made. Be nice. Exactly. Although, and, and I have to point out, because we are recording this podcast in 2022. So, you know, dining out these days is very different than what dining out was like in 2005. So I, I can imagine how this film would feel really different, like right in the thick of the pandemic when people are just starting to get out to restaurants again. That's, yeah, no. Just, just no. Uh, but let's get to this movie. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Anna Faris, Justin Long, Luis Guzman, Dane Cook, Jordan Ladd, Emmanuel Tricky, and, and again, I do apologize if I mess up any names, Idiot, Basement, Microphone I Am, Wendy Malick, and many, many more. Uh, but there is an almost starring in this one. In the role of Danielle, as played by Jordan Ladd, uh, she was the girl that was in the relationship with Luis Guzman's chef and has sex in the uh, the bathroom with him. They offered that role to two people, according to IMDb. Molly Sims and Paris Hilton. Ooh. You're trying to picture the Paris Hilton in that role, aren't you? You know what? As sweet as she is, I... I don't know. I I think they made a good choice. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you don't know who Jordan Ladd is, you might remember her from other movies like um, Embrace of the Vampire comes to mind. Uh, There are others, but it's Jordan Ladd, so it's all good. Uh, This film is written and directed by Rob McKittrick. Uh, He has among, you know, aside from also writing, uh, still waiting, he's currently writing Wedding Crashers 2, and he was also the screenplay writer of Tag. Ooh, <laughs> love that one. I, I know you do. I love that movie. I, we'll have to see if that one actually qualifies or not. I know no, it doesn't. Do, it doesn't? No. You've checked, haven't you? Yes, I have. This film, according to IMDb, had a budget of $3 million only uh, and made a worldwide box office of 18 Point six million. When it debuted on the October 7th, 2005 weekend, it debuted at number seven with a $6 million take. So for a $3 million film to be able to double its budget back on opening weekend, that's pretty cool. But let's give you an idea of what else is in the theaters that weekend. Debuting at number one was Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were-Rabbit. That debuted with a $16 million gross. This is, of course, the the North American domestic box office. Also debuting that weekend, In Her Shoes debuted at number three. That was $10 million. Two for the Money, uh, that debuted at number four. The Gospel debuted at number five with about $7.5 million. But here's the interesting thing. Aside from The Gospel... Waiting debuted on the fewest number of screens of debuts that week. 
debut at only 1,652 screens. All these numbers, of course, are, are th courtesy of the numbers.com. That means that it had a per theater gross of about $3,600 per screen or per theater. That puts it up pretty darn high. It's, I think it's about you know third or fourth as far as the per theater gross. So waiting, despite the fact that it doesn't look like big numbers, per theater, it actually does pretty good. But I have to ask you though, is this the kind of film that you would rush to go see in the theater? Or is this one of those ones where you're quite happy to wait for it to get to DVD? No, this kind of had a feeling of like, the seven movies for seven day blockbuster <laughs> movie ventures that we used to take. Like um, it, it doesn't scream date movie. It doesn't scream like theater going. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, I mean, in comparison, right? Like the other movies that you mentioned, I wouldn't be drawn to either. So if I was out you know, looking for a movie. I, I might've picked this mainly on the cast alone. Um, yeah. Like as, as I'm looking through the top 10 that weekend, um, you know, flight plan was at number two for the third week. Uh, Corpse bride was in its fourth week at number six. Like it's not a stellar box office weekend. So waiting probably benefited from a bit of that. But a lot of you are now listening to this going, well, wait, it's a Ryan Reynolds movie. It should do fairly well. Ah, but, pre-Ryan Reynolds, pre-Deadpool. Yeah, so I, I, I looked this up as to where Ryan Reynolds was in his career at that time. So 2005, this was the same year that uh, he was in the Amityville Horror and Just Friends, and it was a year after Blade Trinity. So this is not exactly peak Ryan Reynolds era. This is, this is before... He was even Deadpool and X-Men Origins. So, you know, he had done Van Wilder at this point. Uh, so we knew that he was funny and we knew that he was able to bring that Ryan Reynolds-esque comedy. But it wasn't the juggernaut comedic force at that point. But the interesting thing here is that Anna Ferris, she had already done three scary movies by this point. So, you know, and Justin Long had been uh, other things as well. But, I mean, you take a look at those three that's a fairly decent cast, but it's actually better in hindsight looking back at it from 2022. Like this is, and again, we're going to do the math on this one here, 17 years old movie now. The cast just looks better in hindsight. At the time, it's not as big, I guess. I mean, I think maybe maybe Anna Ferris might have been the biggest name on the cast at the time. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I'm still waiting for the comedy. You know, it has some really great actors to their own right, but I, I found that the the jokes fell flat. I found, but I think that was more of a writing thing. Mm. I'm sure we'll get to that argument, but um, yeah, it wasn't. I, I don't know how um, it was promoted for theatrical release, but in watching the trailer, it looked to it it set it up for more belly laughs than it uh than it dished out i can say that it, it definitely is a fairly consistent pacing but i will say that if you do like a movie like the first clerks film 
um, you will find some humor in this. But let the, let's get to the breakdown here, and let's start with Monty as played by Ryan Reynolds. And I, I need to ask you because this was this was kind of bugging me a little bit. Look, Ryan Reynolds is funny as hell. We know this, but did this role not feel like they kind of hoped that Sean William Scott would take it? Stifler. Yeah, I mean, again, like I found it was very um, focused on Ryan Reynolds' character, and maybe the focus shouldn't have been on Ryan Reynolds because, I mean, again, and I don't fault, I don't fault him as an actor. Um, I just think that the lines weren't there, or it wasn't. Um, it's almost like, why is he the main focus? You're watching the entire movie to kind of expect something big from him, but really the storyline is on... It's, it's, it's on Justin Long. It's Help on me out, Justin Long, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up, okay? So let's put this in a... This needs to be out there, okay? This was released in 2005. Clerks was released in 1994, and I have a feeling we're going to be drawing a lot of clerks comparisons because this is a day in the life slacker co- workplace comedy, very much like clerks was. Like, if you're drawing the parallels, you know, Ryan Reynolds is Randall and Justin Long is Dante in this. Well, not only that, but the two stoners who, mm-hmm. the, the bus boys, right? I'm like, okay. Discount Jay and Silent Bob. Yep. I actually, I actually have that written down in my notes. <laughs> I swear I didn't, you know, check the cheat you, sheets before. You checked my work. Um, but it, really, I mean, it did. It felt like watching Clerks only without the humor. Like Kevin Smith. Oh, no, no, no. The, hu- a, the humor is there. Well, okay. But Kevin Smith has a way with dialogue that. You know, the lines are presented and they're funny, right? Like even, I mean, Dante, right? I'm not even supposed to be here today. Just that one line is funny. Mm-hmm. It's fu- like, and, and and that's what I was waiting for. Literally. Yes, waiting, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> waiting. What the? Uh. <laughs> Where, like, where's the humor? Um, oh. and, and again, not the actors, but I think it's a, a a script fail. I don't know if it's a script fail, but I think it's a focus fail. Um, and you, were, I think you were right. I think this should have focused more on Justin Long. And, you know, rather than draw a Clerks comparison here, I want to draw an American Pie comparison. The first American Pie film, that's Jason Biggs's story. Everyone else had their little side plots as well, yes, but it was Jason Biggs's story. Uh, and then Sean William Scott stole the scenes that he was in, but it was still at the heart of it all Jason Biggs' story. Um, this was supposed to be Justin Long's story, playing Dean. With, but it tended to focus on Monty more because Monty had the funnier lines. I wish it focused more on Dean because then I think it would have had a bit more of a connective tissue all the way through. I think Monty is funny. I think Ryan Reynolds brought a lot to him and really, you know, probably has some of the most memorable moments in the film. But I think the heart of the story of this film is maybe under focused on that. That should have been Justin Long's like 
it, when you even when you take a look at the poster, like go to IMDb, take a look at the poster, right? It's Ryan Reynolds up front with Anna Ferris and Justin Long in the background. It should be Justin Long up front with everyone else behind him. But I blame Ryan Reynolds because of his charisma. I think that in any of the scenes, damn you, you handsome, funny he, man. <laughs> he he would automatically have have stole the show he he is the front and center of the attention and i don't think the, i don't think there's anything that could have been done to change that with him cast i just the, the thing is though and i i do wonder i do wonder because uh, rob mckettrick who was the guy who who wrote this i want you can always tell when someone's writing it and we talked about this during america's sweethearts you know, it, it, Billy Crystal wrote that movie and you could see how he kind of wrote um, John Cusack's role for himself because you could see and hear a lot of those Billy Crystal isms in in the dialogue. I have a feeling that Rob McKittrick's writing in this, he saw himself more as the Monty and probably had a, a good friend of his that he that he modeled Dean after. So if he saw himself as Monty, then of course Monty's going to be the focus and everything's going to happen around him. It did. It took away you know, the character who had the best arc was not the main focus of the film. Mm-hmm. And I can see how that would what kind of deter you know the critics from really seeing you know kind of the beauty of Justin Long's story. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons. Or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good. Well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. But since we're talking about Justin Long, how was Dean for you? I liked him. I, I thought, you know what? Um, he he was he was just perfectly done with it. Like you could tell. <laughs> like you know, you know when it's the same thing day in, day out, rinse, repeat, and you get up and go to a job that you hate and it just sucks the life out of you. Um, I really saw that in him, you know, like 
here he is, another day, another customer, uh, short tipping him. Like, <laughs> and, you know, ironically, the same day that he's offered a promotion in this whole job that he hates, right? So, like, you could you could just tell he was about to break. He was he was right on the edge and about to break. And again, that in and of itself is funny and should have been, I think, a little more highlighted. Like that was really kind of the story arc that you wanted to follow. Um, but I'm sure we're gonna get there. <laughs> I, 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 it's not all bad. I I do like. <laughs> I do like another character, but I'm not going to go there just yet because we are talking not about just yet. Long, Yeah, so. exactly. Um, I do see a lot of parallels with his storyline and Dante's in Clerks 2, mm-hmm. where, you know, he's realizing that if he doesn't, you know, do something, he's going to end up just, you know, this in the same thing over and over and over again. If, if you're And if you're listening to this show right now and you're sitting there going, oh, dear God, I hate my job. Um, it's like Groundhog Day. Exactly. You know, when you literally are like, oh, didn't I just do this yesterday? Yeah. And I'll do it again tomorrow. And and everyone in your past seems to be doing very well. And, you know, you know, even your mother's sitting there going, well, guess who I ran into today? Yeah, you know? that didn't help for sure. No, no. Mom sucked in this one. Um, it's, you feel bad for him because he's clearly someone who has a head on his shoulders. He has, you know, maybe ambition, but, you know, he has an ambition to get out of what he's doing. He just doesn't know what the next step is. And, you know, there, there's something to be said about the bravery of just saying f*** it all. And yet, I do have to, to point out that what was beautifully done is the solidarity of the the kitchen staff, the wait staff, how, you know, they were a team. They had each other's backs. And I think he kind of had that feeling. I mean, his girlfriend worked there, right? Mm-hmm. Like his entire life revolved around his job, his crew, his friends were all, you know, co-workers and friends. And so it became very difficult for him to leave that Mm-hmm. You know, so he kind of feels stuck in that repetitive loop of like, this is another day. Nothing's going to change. How do I change it? I don't know if I want to, you know, again. And that would play into the offer of him being the manager because that would change his dynamic mm-hmm. with his friends. Like he just, you know, he's really torn. And it was such a great storyline that I think if they had... Focused more on, put paid a little more attention, or did a little more with it, it would have been really great. Yeah, you needed the the American Pie dynamic as opposed to you know this dynamic where focused on the comedic content as opposed to the actual heartfelt story. And yeah, like it's you can see like he he likes who he works with, like all his coworkers. He has a he has a you know good laughs with them. Um. But then there's the manager, and he's a, he's a bit of an idiot, and I think there's there's that cautionary tale there of like you know I don't want to end up being like him. So since we are talking about you know manager Dan is played by Dave Cockner, who if the name does not sound familiar, uh, Champ Kind Sports from Anchorman, he's your manager here. 
He he was really good as a cautionary tale for Dean in this. He was so funny. <laughs> like he, he's the manager that tries to think he's 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 uber cool and whatnot, and he's just so not like I'm. I'm sorry if you have a manager's discount card that does not make you cool in anyone's book whatsoever. He's so unaware. <laughs> he's like, you know, maybe we should hang out. Uh, yeah, no. And again, it's, I think because he's the manager, if he were just another server or if he were to work in the back kitchen or in another role, maybe if he was, if he was like the delivery guy, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe there's a chance he might've been, uh, inducted into this motley crew of, um, of, of, employees of co-workers um but because he was the manager he was definitely not (laughs) included and i think that was the cautionary tale that justin long didn't want to go that route he wanted you know to keep things as it was well especially too when you see the reaction of all his co-workers when it's overheard that he gets offered the assistant manager job but then everyone's like what you're not going to take that are you because I get it. There's a solidarity amongst the rank and file workers and, you know, management be damned, especially when, you know, management is uh, an idiot. You know, I'm not going to lie. He, he was an idiot. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm sure they took great pains in enjoying, you know, not necessarily tormenting Dan, but definitely doing their own things. And, you know, Dan be damned, if you will. But it, it worked well. Like, Dan was the embodiment of what Dean didn't want to be. And this was the day that he was offered the chance to move up to, you know, Dan's level, which would have put him at odds with all his friends. It would have put him at odds with his own goals. Like, yeah. Exactly. It was the shared common enemy. Mm-hmm. And if he had gone that route, right? Like, A, he wouldn't have been, you know, serving his own hopes and dreams right like he would definitely be stuck in that dead-end job he would lose his friends he would you know not be included in the crew like that's not Mm -hmm. you know not something he wanted and that's the thing you saw how dan was treated when it came to oh do you want to hang out no right no he doesn't want to be like that like the the whole movie starts with all the co-workers having a party together by the way, it ends with all the co-workers having a party together. So you can see that this is kind of the day in, day out, almost survival mechanism of everyone at this restaurant. So, you know, you do what you got to do, right? But let's move on to Anna Ferris as Serena. Um, is it me? You have a hilariously funny actress in Anna Ferris, Proven that she's funny as hell. Did not feel like she was wasted in this. Very undervalued for sure. And not undervalued, but just underutilized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think she, and again, I, I don't fault her, but I think she was meant to be more the beautiful blonde, right? Like instead of, she could have really been funny. Mm-hmm. And the lines just weren't there. The, the dialogue, the opportunity was just not there I mean, for her. I mean, don't get me wrong. The snap that she pulls on Monty when he's like, hey, wasn't I inside of you? And then just the, you know, the, the diatribe that she goes on about Monty's horrible sexual prowess there, which apparently there is none. 
Um, that was that was great. It almost feels like Serena was there for that one moment alone. And it is. It's a waste of Anna Ferris. Like, you have such a good actress. Give her more. And even though this, this is Dean's story, and, you know, you could have used Serena more to humanize Monty. But I don't know if you want to humanize him that much. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But Again, I think it would have been funnier if they had given those lines or that setup to the bartender. Oh, Emmanuel Trickley, yeah. Right, who kind of like, you could tell there was that kind of like tension. I don't know if they hated each other or, you know, um, but definitely like, I mean, it, it would have been even funnier if maybe like that was, I don't know, that moment that clicked. Mm-hmm. You know, for her, like, again, I think Anna Ferris kind of got a raw deal. She yeah. was she was written as like the beautiful blonde and that, you know, it, it, it could have been way funnier. Yeah. I mean, and you could almost say the same thing about Caitlin Doubleday, who played Amy, who was Dean's girlfriend. Now, that being said, Amy had more to do because she was, you know. A, helping Dean through whatever it was that he was going through, but also she was the one that had to deal with the, let's call it, the the Karens at the restaurant. She had to deal with them. Yeah, but she was meant to be sweet and innocent, not necessarily. She wasn't wasn't as hardened as Serena or Naomi were. No, where you had, you know, the beautiful blonde that, you know, she gets the... I hate to say it, but she gets the, the guy tables, right? Yeah. And then you had like like the sweet server and she would get the really difficult customers. And then you'd have like just the bad crazy yeah. <laughs> waitress, which, you know, can go unhinged at any given moment. Yeah. Oh, Naomi. Oh, yes. <laughs> As played by Elena Yubach. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are people who have, you know, waited tables. And have done the very thing that she's done. You know, all smiles and sweet. I'll just get that right for you. And then she gets to the back. It's like that little. You have your hand raised. (laughs) Oh, there is nothing more cathartic than going to the back room where you know you can't be heard. Your silent screams. Your your laser eyes. Your, you know. (laughs) <laughs> oh come on say it like i mean it <laughs> but i'm very serious right who who works in customer service of any you know um, environment whether it's a restaurant whether it's retail <laughs> whether it's fast food whether wherever it is that you work with the general public <laughs> <laughs> you are always going to you know, need that little moment of uh, just absolute snapture. Yeah. And it was some of the more unexpected comedy. Like, you know, I, I, I'll admit, like, this is the only role that I am familiar with Elena Yubak in. Um, she outshone a lot of the, the rest of the comedy in this, just with Naomi's manic, almost psychotic presence. Like, and her ability to go from... From I will rip your heart out to I will serve, you know, here's your plate, sir. Then go back and start, you know, growling again. 
It was hilarious. It was she was funny as hell, and yeah, she has her hand She's up again. She's my hero. <laughs> <laughs> She's literally my customer service alter ego. <laughs> I am so glad I never went to the restaurant that you worked at. Okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's talk about uh, Vanessa Longine. And again, I do, again, apologize if I'm messing up any names here, but she played Natasha, uh, the girl who works at the door that is the, you know, object of affection, I guess, for Ryan Reynolds and for Dan. Um, <laughs> we we got to call this out here, right? This is where the story is a little icky, right? Because... Natasha is like what, like four or five days away from turning eighteen, and part of part of Monty's story is that he likes high school girls. Like, like I don't know about you, right? Does this play just weird now? Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I could see where they were going with the humor of it, maybe in the time, but. Yeah. Again, a lot of, I think, where the humor was intended fell flat. Mm -hmm. And I don't blame Ryan Reynolds. I do not blame him. But, (laughs) again, I think it was in the writing. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely was a little icky. Yeah. I mean, especially at the end party and they start to make out and then he's like, no, but you turn 18 on Wednesday, right? Like... Like that's that's supposed to be the the moral compass. Like let's wait five days. Like seriously, um, and and I, I like I feel bad because I I felt Vanessa Longis and again I, I do hope I pronounced that name right. I thought she was good as Natasha, but that angle. I mean, it was funny the fact that she tricked Dan. Like the the whole part of her, you know basically tricking Dan into going to the wrong house. That part was funny. Not just the wrong house. But, but the he, way wrong house. He went, he went to the home of the... Um, the guy who Justin Long pissed off earlier in the day. The, the hillbilly customer that ordered whiskey with his whiskey and <laughs> yeah, exactly. a side of whiskey. With a side of whiskey. He yeah. was... Yeah. And, you know, it, it's our anniversary. It's just, she can have a Pepsi, you know, so... Which, if I wanted to show my love to someone, I would order her an RC Cola. Oh. <laughs> you have to appreciate this. Okay, let me explain. Let me explain. Back when I was a kid, RC Cola was actually served up here in Canada. And, and there was this pizzeria that we would always order from. And it came with like the big 750 milliliter glass bottles of Coke. Or sorry, RC Cola. And I don't know what it was about RC Cola, but it went really well with that pizza. And then... Growing up, I felt RC Cola was like a ghetto cola. Yes, you can address your calls and emails to, (laughs) it's not that bad. But but Burn, carry at the stake. But yeah, RC Cola, ghetto. But here's the thing. (laughs) Somewhere, somewhere in like the early, like mid knots of, of like like 2005 2006 they stopped shipping rc cola to canada and i and i that felt that was thanks to me and, i put a block on it and i i felt an emptiness in my soul because i could no longer get rc cola here and it was, it was to, still to this day my forget coke forget jolt 
Forget Pepsi. It's RC Cola. You can't get it here. We just went on vacation driving through the States and I found RC Cola. I went like bottles of it, bottles of it. Every time I'd be like, hey, sweetie, do you want some? She's like, yeah, no. <laughs> just no. No. So I, I, I'm going to put this out here, okay? If RC Cola ever wants to, you know, sponsor this show, I will literally post a picture of me drinking an RC Cola every day because it's that good. That's not good for you. There's probably a reason why they won't let it over the Canadian border. I am willing to Ghetto go cola. down that road if it means getting RC Cola shipped to our doorstep. Oh, This is how it happens. This is how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> but let's get back to talking about waiting here and rather not about RC Cola here. As much as I lo- you know, love and profess my love for RC Cola. Do you think they serve RC Cola in this bar? Uh, you know what? If they did serve RC Cola in this bar, I would happily bring you to shenanigans and I would make sure that we, none of us sent the food back. But seeing as how we're talking about sending the food back, we got to talk about Luis Guzman, who played Rodimus, the, the, I guess he was the head chef in the back and the purveyor of the penis showing game, which we haven't really talked about that much at all. But let's talk about Luis Guzman first. Uh, how was he for you as Rodimus? Oh, he's so great. He's great. He's a very funny actor. Mm-hmm. Very funny man. Um, I still think a lot of the humor that he could have brought was not there. Really? I think, I think he was he was okay. But he could have been so much funnier. Mm. And I don't blame him. I don't blame him. I think it just wasn't there in the script. It The opportunities were not there. See, okay, so let, let's explain. Because, you know, we can't really drop the words penis showing game and really not explain it. By the way, uh, spoilers. Turkey like a mofo. <laughs> <laughs> so they have this game in order to kind of keep their, their sanity about them as they're working at shenanigans. Is that... They will try to catch people off guard or trick people into looking at their penis. Not in the dining room part of the restaurant. <laughs> Thank God. Well, Thank they cut God. that scene. That was in the outtakes. <laughs> but, you know, so in the back, right, they'll, they'll, when no one's looking, they'll like whip it out and they'll shape it in a, in a different way. They had all these different poses like the brain and the bat wig. And you can just imagine the puppetry of the penis that's going on down here. They never actually show it. It's always implied. But as he's explaining this to, to, to Mitch, the new guy, um, you can just, and we have to, we're going to talk about John Francis Daly, who played Mitch next. You can just see, you can just imagine your own self, like sitting there listening to this guy telling you about how everyone likes to show their penises to each other, and, and it's a it's a game. They make a game of it, and if you if you see it, if you if you're caught looking, they get to kick your ass. Like it's, <laughs> it was funny. It was funny as a gag in the movie and as a running gag throughout. Um, obviously that would never fly in real life, but it's, you know, it allowed Luis Guzman to have those funny moments. That place was an HR nightmare waiting to happen. An, an <laughs> HR nightmare, a health inspector nightmare, yeah. a, a yeah, so much wrong with shenanigans. So much wrong. But let's talk about Mitch. 
as played by John Francis Daly. I'm always impressed when people can, you know, just tell the story without having to say a word. And I don't think Mitch had much in the way of script throughout most of this movie here. But yet still, every time his reaction to the everything that's going on around him, like he is everyone's first day in shock and awe. And if you, you know, if the words penis showing game didn't tell you where this movie was going in the first place, you can just imagine just the, the, the look of abject horror as he's taking this all in. How was Mitch for you? Oh, so great. You know what? Favorite character. Can we just call it right now? Oh, really? Yeah. You know what? Um, again, he didn't have to say much. His face said it all. And, uh, um, if, if we're fully putting the spoilers out there, I loved his turnabout at the end. I loved that he just completely snapped. Oh, it, it was the snapture. It was the snap that, that, I mean, for me, that was the laugh of the movie. I had to wait all 138 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> wait, you had, you had to wait dot, dot, dot. Right. <laughs> um... But I have to bring this up, though, because, of course, we have made the clerk's references. Did it not feel like a like a silent Bob snap? Um, yes. And I think, you know, again, um, if if that was the inspiration for them, well, again, not that his character was silent Bob. No, his, his character wasn't silent Bob, but the snap kind of felt I, like it. I kind of felt, again, like he's the new guy. Right. Um, any line that he had was. You know, he shows up for work on his first day and his uniform is, you know, perfectly clean and pressed. And mm-hmm. um, he shows up to this, like, completely dysfunctional restaurant shenanigans. And, it, like, he is just like, what? What have I What have I gotten myself into? And, um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't take long before he finally just starts calling everybody out. <laughs> I- Okay, I, I have to ask, since you're the one of the two of us who's actually worked in a restaurant, on your first day, was there anything that gave you a Mitch-like reaction? Not the snap, but just the, huh? Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> without, you know, specifics. Like, I think any any new job, any new job, picture your first day of work, period, mm-hmm. right? You show up... Um, Everybody there knows everybody except you're the new person. (laughs) And you are not only getting acquainted with the job and the role that you're going to be doing, but the host of characters that you're working with in any position, (laughs) right? So, (laughs) so he... His first day of work, he's witnessing, again, the most Karenist of Karens ever. Straight up. And just like, just, she's completely abusive. She's a verbally abusive to um, to the wait staff. And he's realizing that that's going to happen to him. Mm-hmm. And then he sees the other side of it, like how the kitchen staff... Oh, for so he sees the camaraderie between 
um, the servers and, and the kitchen and where they did their little vote with the thumbs kind of at medium and then Wait, waiting for Amy to make the final the call because that's her yeah. up or the thumbs down. And then Amy gives the thumbs down and that's where they unleash on, on her, on the, 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 the customer's on, meal on, on the steak, you know, boogers in the gravy and, you know, sh- you know, sh- uh, scratching off the, the dandruff as garlic salt onto the yeah. steak. And yeah, no, it's just a- the nastiness. But again, where I'm going with that is like, he sees it all. He sees um, the job and all of the the dark side of, of becoming a waiter. He sees the, the differences in characters that he's working with. And he sees the good and the bad, right? Like he just, he, I don't know, kind of doesn't take well to it and just <laughs> snaps and starts calling everybody out. And it's funny. I, I thought until he that gets was the them with the goat. Part. Until he gets yeah. them with the goat. <laughs> yeah. Um and then he becomes one of them. Exactly. One of us. One of us. <laughs> uh a few more characters to talk about here. Uh Rob Benedict, who played Calvin, is the guy who couldn't pee. <laughs> um I have to put this out there. By the way, there is a sequel to this film called Still Waiting. A sequel. A sequel. IPs and sequels. Um you know what's funny? Calvin in this, to me, he was okay. He was okay. He was a side character. He became funnier in this film after watching like the first 30 minutes of Still Waiting, which is the sequel, because his character is super shy, zero confidence, like just, just meek, just meek. And by the second film... He's like Rico Suave running the Tatas, which is like your discount Hooters, which moves in next door to shenanigans. And it's such a turnaround. That sequel makes Calvin's role in er, in this funnier. Like without that sequel, Calvin is just like a side plot, right? With the sequel, Calvin is funnier as hell. But your thoughts on Rob Benedict as Calvin? Absolutely agreed. Um <laughs> I mean, you said it perfectly. And yeah, not that we're promoting watching Still Waiting. <laughs> because, I mean, again, haven't seen it through to the end. But um, I'm not going to lie. I, I even uh, was very nervous about coming on this show and finding good things to say about waiting. Dot, dot, dot. Again, because <laughs> I am still waiting for the laughs. But um, you had an excellent point that... You almost kind of need that sequel to see the continuation of his story. And um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm disappointed that a lot of the same cast did not return for Still Waiting. But again, I haven't seen it. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not in a position to comment either way. Um, but it would have been interesting to at least have had those actors to kind of see the life after shenanigans. Yeah. And again, especially with, um, is it Justin Long? No. What, what, um, with Dean, as played by Justin Long. With Dean's um, side story. I want to see him um, succeed. I want to see what he does with his life after finally quitting. Mm-hmm. Which, spoiler 
<laughs> which spoiler he quits he quits <laughs> um word has it he becomes a porno star uh a gay porno star and moves on and zach and mary make a, uh, make a porno <laughs> you just well i mean if we're comparing it to clerks we could basically say that this is part of the universe but we have to talk about this though right because we we've made reference to american pie we've made reference to clerks uh you you could even draw some parallels to a movie like empire records where it's a day in the life of a workplace type comedy this film was released in 2005 does this film fare better if it's released in the mid 90s because it does it does feel like that era type film yeah and again because it came out after clerks Mm. i couldn't help but the first instinct in my head is well this is like clerks but without the funny (laughs) like (laughs) still waiting yeah but i mean a lot of those films from back then you go back and watch it now and they may not be as funny either um a lot a lot of the the humor i don't know i don't know if it feels of the time or not i i think it's a good film i especially appreciate the fact that it was filmed on a three million dollar budget and if you actually watch through the credits in the special thanks uh there's a there's a special thanks to robert rodriguez for his book uh uh was it like Rebel Without a Budget or something Rebel like that. Rebel Without a Cause. Exactly, yeah. something like that. Where it's basically, you know, filming movies on a shoestring budget. They made this film for $3 million in 2005. And, you know, let's let's call it what it is, right? At, I think it was about $18 million worldwide gross. You are 900 times your, or, or sorry, 600 times or whatever, because math is hard. Um, 600 times your budget made back. Like, that's good, and you can you can get the feeling that this was probably a fun film to work on with everyone that was uh, that's going on. Um, but, True, but mm-hmm. when you think about location, though, it was either at the restaurant or at the house where they have the party. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of location um, expense. Yeah, no. Um, but, I mean, you know, making movies still costs money, especially when you have, again, a Ryan Reynolds and Anna Ferris and Justin Long. Like, again, like, these are actors who were either on the come up or already making it big. Like, Anna Ferris, Scary Movie 3? Like, already. She's, but early she's enough, billing. though, in Ryan Reynolds' career that he couldn't command the same... Yeah. Well, no, Ryan Reynolds, I completely agree, even though he was in Blade Trinity the year before. Um, by the way, that film definitely qualifies. So I'm sure somewhere down the road, if we ever get back to doing more superhero movies, Blade Trinity, I'm sure will be one that is eventually talked about. But is there anyone else that we have not talked about in this movie that stood out for you? I mean, I definitely want to give a nod to the kitchen staff. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there was there was one actor that I even asked if I was like, is that Dean Cook. It was Dane Cook. Was it? Yes. It was, yeah. And the funny thing is with Dane Cook, apparently his character didn't have that many lines. So a lot of the the stuff that he put in, that's improv. That's Dane Cook like off the fly. And I could see that. Yeah. And and you know what? He was funny. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, you know, every scene that he was in, I kind of got a chuckle and I'm like, okay, that's funny. (laughs) It, it, It does make you wonder how much of this is actually improv because, I mean... Ryan Reynolds' lines, they come off as very much Ryan Reynolds' lines. And I, I could see him reading the script going, oh, dear God, yes, I have to do this film at the time. Um, and yeah, Dane Cook's lines, you know, when when, they, when they're there, 
knowing that they're improv is like he brought he brought that character out of a, a minuscule part on the paper and turned it into something so you know kudos to that one here but before we move on to our mvps twitter has spoken um our good friend sean faust uh has chimed in with i constantly quote this movie it's a documentary for the food service industry naomi is the best and then sean O'Brate at uh, sports guy sean o says i can quote this whole film this is the movie i used to watch with girls and friends to see if they'd pass the same type of comedy test if they did we were always cool forever if they didn't i judged them for one not working in food service and two, no sense of humor. Um, <laughs> I like that. I applaud. <laughs> so, Sean and Sean, thank you both for your comments there. Um, but it does lead the question, though. Like, do you have to work in food service in order to be able to get this film? Like, I enjoyed it. And the closest I ever did was work in a, you know, uh, a fast food joint. I'm not saying which one, but I can tell you I only lasted a few months. <laughs> it sure helps. I mean, it definitely, um, it definitely helps, but I don't think it's completely, um, it's not a prerequisite to find the humor. I mean, it's not mandatory. No. Cause you know what? Again, it's like any work environment where you have a very close knit group of slackers, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, and not that they were slackers. They showed up, they did their job. They had very challenging customers. They begrudgingly did their job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but they also had a very challenging host of customers and that, um, can happen on any given day in the food service industry. So, um, definitely, you know what it, it was, uh, it was kind of, um, oh, there's a word. It was like an over-exaggerated day in the life of the food service mm-hmm. industry. And I, I think it was, it was fun. I, I will admit that if the takeaway of this film is that working in food service industry sucks, um, you're probably not wrong. But I think there's also a takeaway that you can get through any crappy situation or any job so long as you have good people to work with. Not necessarily under, but at least good people to work with, the people on your level. Uh, and I think this film really, really did show that there is that camaraderie at the rank and file level. Um, just, you know, don't show your penis. That's pretty much what it boils down to. Uh, but it is time to lay it on the line. Carrie, who is your MVP of waiting dot, dot, dot? Oh, Mitch. Okay. John Francis Daly as Mitch, the new guy. Why, why for him? Again, like he didn't nest his comedy shown through mm-hmm. or shone through. Like it, it was, um, it was, again, he didn't have to have the lines, but his facial expressions made it funny. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. For me, it was Naomi as played by Elena Yubak. Like just her ability to to walk that psychotic line back and forth throughout the restaurant. Although I do have to give honorable mention to Chai McBride, who played Bishop, the de facto therapist slash dishwasher who everyone kind of went to and was just like this very calm you know, very thoughtful person in the back that just listened to everyone's problems. And really he was right. 
every single time. But he was the silent Bob. I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could absolutely see that. Um, but yeah, it's a line of you back for me. And I'm glad that she was one of the people that actually made it to still waiting because, yeah, she's there. Um, Carrie, thank you for this, for joining this. If you are interested in watching Waiting Dot Dot Dot, you can actually find it on Netflix right now. So please, by all means, give it a try. And I think Still Waiting is on either Tubi or Roku or one of the two there. So if you really want to go down that road, go ahead and go down that road. But until next time, Carrie, thank you so much for this. And to you, our listeners, you guys know the drill. If there is a film that is unfairly maligned or you think is bad enough, that there's no way in hell that we can find anything good to say about it. Hit us up on Twitter at NotThatBadCast and we will watch it, we will dissect it, and we will find the good things to say because we are looking for those A grades in B movies. Until next time, she's Carrie, I'm Jay, you're awesome. This is It's Not That Bad. Take care. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.